as you find your seats, turn with me in your bulletins to Ephesians, in your bulletins, in your Bibles to Ephesians 1. There is an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. Amazing verse that we're going to look at today. We're going to put under a microscope. We're going to find ourselves in two verses in this incredible letter that God has given to us through the pen of Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's one of those verses we're going to bore down on, we're going to put under the microscope, and we're going to look at it. It's my hope and prayer that each word will jump off the page into our hearts. Because really, again, in this one verse of Ephesians 3, we have in capsule form the Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. There's so much life here. There's so much joy here. There's so much meaning here. Rest and listen. Rest and listen as I read just one verse. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Did you hear that? It starts off by saying that we should be praising God and blessing Him for who He is and for what He has done. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. They're all ours in Christ. I think all of us want to know, what does that blessing include? You get a call, maybe from a telemarketer. I hope you never answered the phone, but maybe somehow they got you. Congratulations, you've won. And what do you want to know what you've won? What have I won and what has it cost me to win? What is the catch? You have a free trip on a cruise. Yeah, whatever. What have I won And what does it really cost me? Well, here we have in Scripture that God is going to tell us that we are blessed by the Father through the Son, applied by the Spirit, that all of the spiritual blessings, all of them, are ours in Christ Jesus. What does every spiritual blessing include? And maybe for many of us, at moments like this, we want to know, What does every spiritual blessing not include? What does every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus exempt us from? We're His family. We're His royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're a people belonging to God. We've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. He calls us joint heirs with Christ Jesus. He has blessed us with His Son's precious blood and He has cleansed us. He has robed us in His Son's beautiful righteousness. He has blessed us with life and life eternally. He has blessed us with forgiveness of sins. Listen, our sins are separated as far as the east is from the west. Is that good news? We've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Is that good news? We have been made joint heirs with Christ. We have been given 
every spiritual blessing in Christ. What are we exempt from? Not cancer. Last week I reported to you that Katie uh, had a uh, suspicious uh, result from some tests. Amazing, a week and a half of our life kind of stops and all of a sudden everything changes on a dime. Everything's turned upside down. And it's confirmed that we, we have a type of colon cancer. Praise God, it seems very contained, doable, beatable. But still, part of me wants to cry out and say, God, what are all these spiritual blessings in Christ? And aren't we exempt from things like cancer? How many of us have battled with cancer? How many of us have lost loved ones? How many of us have had strained marriages? How many of us have had prodigal sons and daughters? How many of us have had financial ruin? How many of us have just been shattered on the rocks of life? And you get to a verse like this and you say, come on, what does it really mean that we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus? What does it mean and what does it exempt us from? Well, it's an amazing blessing, and we're going to unpack that. It's an amazing truth, and it's so beautiful. But let me just tell you, family, Orangewood, it doesn't exempt us from the fire. It doesn't exempt us from trials. And sometimes life will crash us upon the rocks when all we have left is Jesus. And I hear some really good news. You know what? He's enough. And He's good. And he's with us. Whatever fire we go through, we never go alone. And we, don't, we go with one who is almighty, Emmanuel, God with us. So we're going to ask you to pray for us. Uh, pray for healing. Kind of the next step for us is we're going to be looking for surgeons and the right treatment. But we know that God is sovereign. I preached on that last week. Last week we realized that God is in control of all things, including our news. But maybe the question we have to ask ourselves when we talk about spiritual blessings is this. Whose category of blessings is Paul talking about in Ephesians? Because I think if it were up to us and we stopped right now and said, okay, let's just get out a piece of paper and pen and let's list blessings. And let's list our blessings, what we'll call all of the Orangewood blessings. And I bet there'd be a great big list of very important things. But as we begin this, we want to ask whose category of blessing is Paul talking about? And this is giving us God's view of blessing. Here's where we begin. God is telling us, he initiates with us that we are blessed in the heavenly realms. This is his perspective of blessings. They're blessings found in Christ. I love the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us so many promises about God. And they continue to remind the Israelites and us that this God is a relational God. He cares about people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when God, we read through the Old Testament, we see that this God promises blessings throughout the entire uh, Old Testament. As he enters into a covenant or a contract with folks like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the nation of Israel, he says, I'm going to promise you blessings. And now we get to Ephesians And Paul tells us that this isn't the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although he is. This is a God of our Savior, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is so significant. Why is Paul telling us that that 
praise be to the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because of this. Every promise of the Bible, every single promise of the Bible finds its fulfillment in yes, according to 1 Corinthians 1, in Jesus. Amazingly, Jesus, being fully God, has come here as our covenant keeper, which means he has done all the requirements that God requires to bless us. We have to fulfill a law. We have to do what God has required for us to be blessed. It's all done in Christ Jesus. Everything that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all find fulfillment in Christ. That's why Paul will say, Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in Christ, all of God's promises are yes to you know Him. You see, if we don't have Christ in the picture, if He is not our Lord and Savior, like our young people stood up and declared, those promises are afar. They're off. They're not ours. But in Christ Jesus, all of God's promises are yes. But blessings in Christ is truly spiritual blessings. Who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with spiritual blessings. Not necessarily material blessings. It drives me crazy when I hear many preachers who will want to talk about the blessings of Christ being material blessings. It doesn't say that. They're spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. We are not promised that we won't lose our mortgage. We're not promised that our jobs won't be in jeopardy. We're not promised that our wives won't have cancer. We are not promised material blessings. We are promised something better and greater that's enduring. We're promised spiritual blessings. Yes, He provides for us. He knows our needs, our daily bread. He takes care of the the details of material blessings. But blessings in Christ are true spiritual blessings. And we have to understand this as we begin. These are blessings from God's perspective and understanding, not ours. Proverbs 3 means a lot to us right now. Lean not on our own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will make our paths straight. He sees what we do not see. These are God's perspective and understanding of blessings. I told you last week, as we look into the book of Ephesians, this is God's story. And what's different about this book and any other letter that Paul wrote, maybe what's different about this book than any other book in the Bible, is this gives us a bird's eye view of heaven. Paul uses a phrase in the heavenly realms more than this book than any other. And what he's doing, picture this, he's giving us a picture of what Jesus has done, looking down on us now and saying, let me describe to you the blessings from heaven from this perspective. Let me show you what they look like from me through my son. And for us to understand the parts of the story, we must understand the whole. Again, one of the things that's clear about the book of Ephesians is that Paul tells us that God is big and God is in control and that we are small. But in Christ, we are loved and we are empowered. There's some main points that I want to go back to just to say, let's don't forget these as we begin our journey. The first one is this. The sovereignty of God. We must realize as we read through this book, as we preach through this book, and let me encourage you also, there's a CD out there on Ephesians. Get it. Read it. Go to the website. Download it. Put this in your brain and in your heart. And what we're going to see is that God is in control of all things. Not just some things. God is in control of all things. He truly is what we use the word sovereign. Sovereign. 
There's not one molecule that's, that's out of rebellion to Him. Yes, this is a fallen world. Yes, men and women are responsible for sin. But God truly is over and in control of all things. And we're going to see starting next week, including our salvation. He is the one who initiates with us. He is the one who has rescued us. We truly can only say amazing grace. God is in control even of our salvation. He's in control of all things. Even when you hear pathology reports saying, yes, you have cancer. God didn't all of a sudden cease being God. God didn't all all of a sudden cease being good. He's in control. We learned last week that God is immutable. It's It's a theological term that describes a characteristic of God, meaning He's unchanging. This is really good news. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why is this good news? Because we know that the God who is good and whose promises will not fail, He will not change. How often do you and me change? How often do you and I change? I or me? I, right? How often do you and I change? All the time. What do you want to be in control of? I realize afresh how little I'm in control of. I realize afresh my life is continually changing. I have good news. God is in control. We are not. And He is good. Then we looked at this mystery of God. This mystery of God is this from a heavenly perspective. He shows us in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to get to that, that Christ is head of the church. That Christ is head of all things, all principality and powers. And it's a really cool picture. He lifts up Christ, the name that is above every name, the name that every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. He lifts up Christ to the heavenly realms and he says, I am uniting all things under Christ. He is the head. Everything will be subservient to him. Everything will bow to him. Everything will be united to him. Everything will make sense in him. He's showing us heaven. He shows us his son. And we realize that he's making all things one. All things under him as one family. Includes Jew and Gentile. Includes every tribe, tongue, and nation. Unbelievable. God is making all things one. That's a mystery. It's a mystery of how he is doing this. And the mystery is this, that he takes sinners like us who deserve God's wrath and he calls us saints. Go figure. Those who are called out of darkness. Those that he has washed and cleansed and has made holy. He calls us God's perspective. What's your perspective of yourself? I bet many of you are like me. You want to say, I don't feel very saintly feel dirty and sinful. Even my own thoughts during worship run away from me. But what's the view from heaven? Well, the view from heaven is he sees us in Christ and all of a sudden he says, we're saints. We're his. Called out of darkness to be holy in his sight. And the mystery is how God made us saints. The who, the where, the what, and the when of how God accomplished his feet. Who God himself makes us saints through Christ. Before time began, how? By the shedding of his own son's blood, who would have ever thought that God would become flesh to come rescue us? Shed his blood to cleanse us. Beat our greatest enemy, death, to give us life. God has conquered for us, and it's a mystery. Couldn't do it ourselves. Led Zeppelin was wrong. We couldn't build a stairway to heaven. But God had to come down his ultimate Jacob's ladder and bring us home. This morning we're going to look at the grace of God. We didn't get to this last week. The grace of God, the riches of God's grace, and also the Son of God 
and what this means. So let's again look to Ephesians 1. I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy, inerrant word. Paul writes early on, Grace to you. It's a typical greeting, um, uh, close to a typical greeting for a Gentile or Greek. Uh, they would, might, might say rejoice. But now there's a combination of a Greek and a Jewish greeting. Grace to you and peace. That was a term used in the Jewish culture, shalom. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Father, what is abundantly clear this morning is that You need to come through the power of the Spirit, the power of Jesus, and come and speak through this broken sinner. Father, open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see the beauty of Your Son and what He has done for us so that everyone in this room would be able to sing Your praises and say, Blessed, blessed are You, Father. Blessed are You, Son. Blessed are You, Holy Spirit. For You have brought us to Yourself and blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So open up our ears to hear from You, Jesus. Spirit, shine the light of Christ into our minds. Father, break our our rebellious, unbelieving hearts of stone so that we can embrace this message of Yours. And Father, empower our feet so we can walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. May You and You alone receive glory and may we receive challenge and joy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Point of emphasis is the grace of God. May the grace of God be with you. This grace is a main theme throughout this epistle. Paul is going to use it 12 times to make sure we understand grace, 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 God's grace. Now here's here's the reality. It's by God's grace that He initiates with us. It is graceful to God that He will initiate with us with anything other than wrath. Let's think about this. God's holy without sin. He despises sin. We're sinful, every single one of us, since birth. God has every reason to respond to us with His wrath. Separate us with hell itself. But by God's grace, He's merciful to all of us. There's two types of grace I want to introduce you to. One is called God's common grace. It includes all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation today. God is very gracious that He is not pouring down His wrath on us this very moment. We deserve it. God is gracious to those who will never come in grace, who will never acknowledge Jesus as Savior. He still allows them to laugh and to smile and to make money. He still allows them to have children. He still allows them the earthly joys of this life. He still allows them to enjoy a beautiful sunset or an incredible rainbow. God's common grace gives them life, even if they don't acknowledge Him, even if they're a mocker of Him, God, by His unbelievable, marvelous grace, has bestowed grace on all of mankind who are in His image. That's common grace. But for His family, there's something special. Just like for our families, there's something special. There's a special grace. There's a redemptive grace. There's irresistible grace. What maybe we could call an effectual grace that makes us His children. 
Ephesians 2.8 says this. Ephesians 2.8 says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not of works. So God wants to make it very, very clear that we come to Him, not on our own initiative, not on our own uh, righteousness, that we only have access to Him because He first came to us. It was gracious of Him. God moves towards sinners. God has a love for sinners. God demonstrates that love for sinners. That while we were still sinners, Christ sent his, uh, God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for sinners. To die for His family. To die for the elect. That is a special grace. A saving grace. All of God's family, every sheep that was lost, it was His, every single one will receive this saving grace. It's an incredible gift. It's amazing grace. None of the family deserves it, but all of his family receive it. It's this grace that we are saved through, through the work of Christ. But it's a grace that we are to praise. So 2.8 tells us that we're saved by grace to the praise of his glorious grace. Look at verse 6 in chapter 1. We are saved to the praise of his glorious grace. Here's the whole deal. He washes us up. He cleanses us. He loves us. He fills us with His Spirit. He makes us new. He gives us an incredible inheritance. Why? All for the praise of His glorious grace. He wants us to respond in worship, in love. He wants our lives now to be a song back to Him, not just on Sunday mornings. Living our lives to the praise of His glorious grace. In the midst sometimes of the shadows. In the midst sometimes of the despair. In the midst sometimes of the struggle. And certainly on the mountaintop. We have been saved by God's grace. And now we live in response to that. To the praise of His glorious grace. It's grace that leads to peace. We will never have peace without God's grace. Never. And now we have peace with God because of that grace in Christ Jesus. Peace leads to this shalom, and it means so much. It's, it's kind of like maybe some people think of nirvana, that everything is right. God has made everything right with sinners like you and me in His holy sight. But listen, there's more. God wants to make everything right in Christ, uniting everything in Christ in all of His creation. And now we as His children We are grace ambassadors. We are peace seekers. Unbelievable. God reconciled the world to Himself through His Son. And He's forgiven our sins. And now He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. We are His ambassadors. So here's the call, Orangewood. Wherever in your neighborhood, wherever in your life, wherever in this world, there is not the peace, the shalom of God, where brokenness reigns, We are to go. Not with our own strength, but with Him as His ambassadors. Because why? Grace and peace to you. That is our call. That is our ministry. The Son of God. All riches are found in Christ Jesus. Jesus is mentioned three times in the first two verses. And the reality is, is all the promised blessings are found in Christ alone. I loved meeting uh, with uh, some of my African-American friend pastors. And one of them was in my office and and it was right after the election, and he had gone to the inauguration, and he was giddy. He was giddy that an African-American was in the White House. So excited. He's like, we wake up in the morning, we want to know, what are they having for breakfast in the White House today? This is great, because why? Because one of our own is there. 
We are represented in the White House. We have representation. Of course, he represents all Americans, but I loved watching his joy. I love watching his excitement. But for the Christian, what we have is an even greater representative. One of us is in heaven. His name is Christ Jesus. He is there. And He represents us to the Father. He has secured all the blessings of the Father and He gives them to us. Right now, we have a representative with God in heaven. God Himself through Christ the Son. We truly are represented in Christ. It's a sense. It's a mystery. In a sense, we're there. Unbelievably, he says, we are seated with him in the heavenly realms already. So all the promises, all the treasure, all the life, all the hope, all the meaning are found in Jesus alone. Are you looking for life? Are you looking for meaning? Are you looking for joy? You can only find it in Jesus. That's where you start. And that's where you continue. And that is where you will end. In Christ and Christ alone. In Christ, we find all spiritual blessings. That's what he tells us in 1.3. The source of all blessings. Let's look at that. And you can follow along the outline if you like. The source of all blessings are the Father. God Himself. Scripture reveals God to us. It's a mystery. But Scripture reveals us that there is one true living God. There are three persons, separate persons in the Godhead. There is God the Father. There's God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit. These three are one God. They're the same substance. They're equal in power equal in authority, but they have unique roles. You see, the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have unique roles in blessing you and blessing me with salvation. First of all, we see this, that our salvation and all the blessings are initiated by the Father. That's the source. For in Him, for in the Father, we are chosen before the foundation of the world. The Father is the great initiator. We'll see through verses 4 through 6 that all the blessings are initiated through the Father. All these blessings are executed through the Son. Verses 7 through 12 in chapter 1. He's the one who shed his blood. He's the one who came and lived a perfect, righteous life. He's the one who secured all the blessings. So get this in your mind's eye. Here you have God, before time began, planning our salvation and rescue, planning to bless and love us before time began. And the Father says, I'm going to send the Son. And the Son says, I'm going to go. And it's going to include a Roman cross. It's going to include death. It's going to include resurrection. But I'm going to be obedient to the Father, and I'm going to find every lost sheep. I'm not going to lose one. So it's initiated by the Father, it's executed by the Son, and then it's applied by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to the sheep that are His before the foundation of the world and applies the love of the Father, applies the work of the Son. So now we have what we call an economic trinity. They're one ontologically, they're one in being, but they have different roles in our rescue. So what matters? We should sing God's praises, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every one of them. Sometimes we elevate Jesus and say He's the one. Well, really, the Father sent Him. And the Spirit comes and applies it to us. Blessed be the Father. Blessed be the Son. Blessed be the Holy Spirit. We are blessed to sing His praises. Well, what's the posture of our blessings? This is amazing. This is what Jack was pointing out this morning. The posture of our blessings are to be seated. Turn with me to Ephesians 1, verse 20. 1, verse 20 it's a kind of a continuation of a sentence. It says this, that God, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Well, here's the view. God raised up His Son after He 
paid for our sins and overcame death, broke the chains of death, an empty tomb, and now God has placed Him, given the name above every name, and seated Him in the heavenly realms. But look at what 2.6 says. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. So what is the posture of God's blessing? It's sitting. It's sitting instead of doing. The work of Christ is done. Did you hear me? The work of Christ is done. He came to fulfill the law. He came to make the one ultimate sacrifice. The work of Christ is done. Why is Jesus sitting? Is He tired? Heavens no. Why is He sitting? Because it's all finished. When He cried out from the cross, it is finished. It really was. Listen to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest, this is a priest of the Old Testament, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which never can take away sins. So here they are. There's futility in standing. These priests would continue to slaughter goats and and sheep and oxen, and they never worked. And every day they had to stand and butcher more animals and draw more blood to try to pay for their sins. And it never worked. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until the enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. He sat down because it was complete and sufficient and enough. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, 10.14. For by a single offering, God has perfected, He's made perfect for all time those who are being made holy. God says this, The work of the Son was so perfect and so right in the Father's eyes that He seated, it's all done. It was so much that we too have been perfected in Christ. Do you feel broken? Do you feel in process? Do you not feel very saintly? Look to Jesus and see yourself seated with Him in the Father's eyes. It's an amazing view. It's an amazing view. He has perfected forever. Our sins are really paid for. They're really gone. Whatever was in our closet can't haunt us anymore in God's sight. We really not only have been cleansed, we've been made beautiful. We're robed in His righteousness. We're fully His children. And yet, we're still being made holy. We're still in process. I love that duality. But that is the righteousness. What is the posture? We're sitting in Christ. And the reality in my own life is I have a paper-thin righteousness that I want to somehow bargain with God. I want to somehow work on my own. I want somehow for God to own me. I want to do it on my own. But the reality He's saying, you moron, you can't. My Son has done it all. For those of you who are weary, for those of you who are struggling, for those of you who want rest, look to Jesus. He did it all. All to Him I owe. All. I have nothing I can offer but filthy rags. And so what is the posture of our blessing? Get up and do more. Get up and work hard. Try to clean ourselves up. The posture of blessings is sit right there and say, God, would you come with Christ and wash me and bless me? Because if I stand, I'll fall. But in Him, we have blessings.
What are the reasons for our blessings? Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. We have these blessings to sing His praises. It's amazing that God had me in a couple of places this week. Everywhere I went, God had me in a specific place. As I waited for results, I sat with wives and mothers and broken people waiting for results too. And I just heard story after story of children filled with cancer, of spouses filled with cancer, and I had the privilege of praying for them and loving them and singing God's praises knowing that He really does reign. All that we have in Christ Jesus is all for His praise. It's it's ultimately for Him. For Christ and His kingdom. It's not about us. Have you heard that before around here? All these spiritual blessings are ours so that we can sing the praises of God in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the difficulty. But knowing the joy that we have everything, all the spiritual blessings in Christ. That should be our song. Marvin Schur. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. S-C-H-U-R. A 93-year-old World War II veteran died in January in Bay City, Michigan. He froze to death. He froze to death in his own home. Apparently he owed about $700 on his electric bill. The electric company, those warm-hearted folks there, sorry, came and shut down his electricity They found him in a a house that was below 32 degrees. The sink had frozen water in it. His oven was open trying to get some kind of heat. Frozen to death. And maybe the tragedy of all tragedies is he owed $700 on his electric bill and he had a half million dollars in the bank. His electric bill was nothing. And again, I'm not saying he's to blame, but there's something really wrong here that the electric company would turn off the power of a 93-year-old in the midst of one of the coldest snaps in Michigan. And there's something wrong here with a man who has a half million dollars and he didn't pay a $700 utility bill. He certainly had the resources. He certainly had the blessings. And yet, he froze. Orangewood, you have every resource that God has at your disposal in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. There is no debt that you owe that Jesus hasn't paid. None. And for us to live our lives as slaves, for us to live our lives with the riches of Christ, and allow our lives to be frozen by this world, shame on us. Shame on us wherever we find ourselves. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. The electricity is on. The bills have been paid. All to the praise of His glorious grace. Let us pray. Father God, how do we say thank You We deserve wrath, we get love. We deserve death, we get life. We deserve separation, we get intimacy. Father, all of these things are ours in Christ Jesus. And now you want us to live our lives to the praise 
of Your glorious grace. There's no greater reason to live our lives. Forgive us for living our lives to the praise of our own name, to the praise of our own fame. God, forgive us for living our lives like our debts haven't been paid and we don't have electricity to turn on in Christ Jesus. Freezing apart from You. Father, fill this place with Your presence so that we can walk out of here rejoicing in every spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.